This is The Deal with Nisim Black. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Again, this is Nisim Black, a.k.a. Godsman, a.k.a. The Black Abraham Lincoln, a.k.a. Hitler's Worst Nightmare, a.k.a. Sammy Davis' cousin. I was born in Seattle to hip-hop parents. I got in trouble as a kid. I was able to make a major life turnaround. I was a Muslim in my younger years. I became a Christian in my teens, only to discover that my soul was Jewish all along. So I took my wife and my kids, and we picked up, and we moved to Israel, where I am today. This podcast is all about the deal. What deal? The deal with social issues, race, anti-Semitism, everything that has to do with me as an individual and us as a people and humanity. And I wanted to be able to tackle all of these issues from unique and interesting perspectives. And I'm going to interview people that may or may not share the same uh, belief as me, may or may not share the same perspective or outlook as me. But at the end of the day, discussion is important. We have to talk in order to advance ourselves as individuals and advance humanity. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Fat Man Scoop, who was an American rapper, a radio personality, was collaborated with everyone from Janet Jackson, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, and just about anybody you could think of. And he's known as a club banger and a showstopper. Today, he has turned his IG live into one of the most entertaining lives out there, interviewing some of the biggest legends in hip hop. Thank you, Scoop, for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. Let's roll, brother. Well, you know I do anything for you, bro. You know I like your music and what you're doing and what you stand for. So you know I'm always gonna be there for you. I know. I already know. I already know. It's like honestly, I feel like you're that like uncle that's been rooting for me since I was a kid. You know what I mean? It's like a very interesting how you could just have that connection with somebody like that, man. So I really appreciate it. Really do appreciate it. You know, the thing about what you do that I love is that you're unapologetically yourself. Right. And you are the antithesis of what people think Jewish people are. Now, I happen to have right. Jewish people in my in my family. Not not. Uh, is it Orthodox Jew? Like you? You? Yeah. Yeah. Like not Hasidic people in my family. However, I have a family bloodline. Right people in my family that are Jewish. And it's not what people look at and say, oh, that's a Jewish guy. That's a Hasidic guy. Right. You know, the the, the video shoot where you have on all white. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, you know, that you're taking it and you're making it something that people can look at and go, wow, that's that's like super cool. So and then you have great records, you have great production, you have great videos. So I'm a fan of, of what you do. And that's why I support you. No, thank you, man. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate the support. That's big. But let's talk about you because you, you, you're making me blush over here. You know, I'm turning, you know, we don't turn red. We turn purple when you're this color. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, look, so you're, you're a few weeks short of your of your 50th birthday, if you don't mind me saying. Right. You don't you don't look a day over 27. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And you've been in the game for a long time. So how has it changed? Is it for the better? Is it for the worse? You know, how do you feel about it? You know, music changes and evolves just because. Right. When I started my set into hip hop, music had just started getting violent. Right. You know, as a child, when I was growing up, it was a city. Yes, y'all. Uh, come on. And, and then, you know, right, right. then it got to um, 
you know, self-destruction with KRS, and it was positive. And then you had Eric B and Rakim, and they weren't violent, but you knew they were gang, you know, it was a gangster persona. But still, in those videos, they were beating up the drug deal. They were still being positive in their own way. Then you started to hear people talking about pistols in their music. Like, you know, for example, EPMD talked about Pac Pistol Posse, and, and then it kind of hit a crescendo when NWA came out. Right. Then we realized that you could make this kind of music and still be played on the radio. And I think that that's when the floodgates let open and everything else was thrown to the side. By the time that I, I, I was ascending, Biggie and Tupac were in the mix. Right. So then it became really violent. So then dudes were talking about, you I'll kill you, <laughs> you know, I'll lay you down, whatever. Right. And um, now we have something completely different. You know, in the 90s, the rappers were the drug dealers. Now in this era, the rappers are the drug users. <laughs> it's a completely different thing. I just look at music, even though it's violent and it is what it is, it's still a progression. Right. And I'm not always happy with the music I hear. However, I understand it's young people's way to express themselves. Right. And then finally, every once in a while, I made a negative record. You know, I, my, but my negative record is not I'll shoot you, I'll kill you. It might be drop down and get your ego on. Girl, back it up and show your booty now. Girl, you know, it'll be that kind of stuff. But I'm not right. making records for kids. I'm making records for adults. But however, we all do it a little bit. Right, right. That's it's super interesting how you just put that out there like that. It's like the the rappers used to be the drug dealers, but now they're the drug users. And it's the whole it's the whole mentality of what what flipped, you know what I'm saying? So the so the records start changing, not just because music evolves. So that's already one thing, but it's almost like the records start changing because you need to you need to make something where people could get high to. Right. It's, it's different. And the thing about me, the thing about you is that we don't do it that way. We don't go with the crowd. Right, right. We have chosen to go on a separate path and do what we do. Now, that might not take you to the Grammy. However, you have your soul intact. Exactly. Because you're doing what you what you feel you want to do and what you feel is right in your soul. Man, that's real. Very, very real. So earlier this year, right, you interviewed Snoop and he told you something just along those lines because we talked about keeping your soul intact, that he stopped rapping about death because he realized that his words had power, mm -hmm. right? And they have meaning. And, we, and you know, you just mentioned both Biggie and Pac. It's almost as if they predicted their death to some degree based on how, how morbid the lyrics may have been, right? And it seems like Snoop was saying, like, he wanted to uplift his listeners. And as a rapper, do you ever stop and you think about this question of how your words impact listeners, you know what I'm saying? Obviously you do, but do you think, like, that's something that people are doing these days or that anybody out there that you can feel like that's that's doing that? Um, I think about that every single day just as a person like you said. Um, your words are everything. So I don't talk about death in any form. Right. I always talk about more life. I say, yo, I'm going to live till 85 because like you said, what you talk about, you know, will become that. Last night, I just happened to be thinking about Biggie. You know, some of the times that, you know, I had come across Big and stuff like that and I was thinking about the song on Life After Death. You're nobody until some he kills you. Right. And I was like, you know, this man was talking about death the whole time. Pac, 
talking about death the whole time. So what else could the result be? When you make a decision in your soul to go away from the negative and go to the positive, you're going to lose people. Right. And that's what Snoop said. He said, I lost people because they wanted me to be angry and dangerous. There's no real end game to that. You can't get a deal with William Sonoma right. being like that. You, you can't get a deal with Exxon or, or I don't. Oh, any major company, Walmart, Target, any huge Jewish company on this, you can't you can't cut deals acting like that. Right. That's crazy. And this is one of the biggest things that bothers me about it is because we is is the black population in America, we define what's hot and what's not. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, you know, and I've said this many times, it's been our responsibility in order to decide, you know, what we allow for them to basically, you know, put back into our communities, how they entertain our children, how they entertain even our, our young adults as they're growing up. So it's sort of like, you know, although these companies, which is a major problem, we're just not even going to say, yeah, I, I met with them. You know, I dropped my, my joint motherland bounce. I went everywhere. I went to Republic. I was at Island. I was at uh, I was at Columbia. I was at, you know, I went to everybody had me come. I was at Warner, both Warners. I went to a couple Warners and good relationships, good, good conferences. But it was just really like that monkey in the room. What can you say? How far can you go? How far can you take it? And it's like, I don't want to be in a position to where I'm feeding something back into my community that I feel like is hurting the community. So, I mean, I guess my question would be is like, do you feel like this can be turned around or you think it's just like, it's just done? First of all, it's easier to make negative music than it is to make positive music. Right, depending on the person, though, right? I made a lot of negative music. I killed a lot of people on records and did all of that when I was in the streets, when I was banging, you know, GD, and I was out running around with, you know, whoever I was running around. It was easier for me to make that because that's what I was being a product of what was going on in my environment. But the the moment, you know, I had, you know, my own personal awakening, those things I just didn't even connect to no more. So whatever was inside was going to naturally come out. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like sometimes it's like, you know, anybody that was was in a good place that like you said they don't get hurt how do we get in this cycle of constantly allowing these companies or allowing artists even not putting some type of responsibility on them to be like man listen my kids got to listen to this you know what i mean see here's the thing it's amazing what people will do for money i have personally done a record because i had to at the time i had a fourteen thousand dollar alimony and i was short this month particularly and i did a record that i probably shouldn't have done and it's amazing but that was on a small level it's amazing what people will do when the money is out there and you need it the goal is to become popular enough and have enough money where you don't need to do that mm. where you can say no i think that if you look at music as long as the people at the top that have the money that are the ones who can sign you and make you a superstar have a say in it it's not changing right Got it. Now, if you're a Nisim Black and you do your own thing and you catch your, your quick four or five hundred thousand views on YouTube, you can do whatever you want to do. Right. But when you're self-funded, however, when you're not, you can't. Right. That's true. So there was this this is rapper uh, named Russ. You familiar with Russ? Russ is like I was just about to mention Russ. Go ahead. Really? Okay. So he said something in one of his interviews that really like struck me, and, and it was real. You know, his whole independent come up, like that's his whole thing was my independent come up. Another good friend of mine is, I mean, he used the label services, but he did his own thing. Was Macklemore? Macklemore, me and Macklemore both from Seattle. Mac used to open up for me at shows, and you know, what I'm saying I don't think that matters anymore because. <laughs> 
He went light years in this. He pushed a button and 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 rocketed, and we all watched that, right? These are two people. But Russ has said something in his interview. He said like, if Drake just was like, forget it, I'm about to just do this 100% independent. He said he would flip the music industry on its head. It's almost like we got the power. Prisoners sitting on the keys. So let, let's start here. I was when Drake. Remember, I don't know if you remember when Drake had "Baby, You the Best." Baby, you're the best, best I ever had, best I ever had, right? Right. Right then and there, I said to myself, he needs to come up with his album by himself. If he would have put that album on iTunes on his own, he would have made 20, 30 million. I said, he now has the opportunity to change the entire music business, but he didn't. Maybe that's because of his allegiance to Lil Wayne. If I was Drake, so you're Wayne, I'm going to sign with you. But I want to try something to get this one project off on my own. And I'm going to sign in Young Money, no problem. But I want to see if we can change the game right here, right now. Of course he could have changed the game. He can change the game now. But the question is, by doing that, does the industry shut him out of certain things? So do they shut him out of Jimmy Fallon? Do they shut him out of this? Do they shut him out of that? Do they, you know, because listen, if they want to shut you out, you get shut down. Right. Now, Drake's music is strong enough where he probably won't get shut down. But if there was one person who could do it, it would be him. I don't even think Rick Ross, anybody. I think the only person that could turn this whole thing over on its head would be Drake. That's the only person. Right. Now I'm with you on that. So listen, now you switch, and I know you're still involved with music and everything also too, and big ups to your brother too, because I seen he just got that uh, great position over there at the label. So now you yourself have been doing like more interviewing, even somewhat behind the scenes on the radio and whatever, and there's one particular interview that you did that was probably my favorite. And this is what I love about you is like you're doing your thing. Like what you said is like you said about me, but I, I love it about you because not a lot of people in our world, so to speak, would have interviewed Candace Owens. That Candace Owens interview was lit. And the reason why is also too because you really kind of really stayed in a neutral place. I just thought the interview was really fire. So what did you take out of that interview on yourself? Because it was a heated time for the country. You know what I'm saying? All together, she's like such a, a figure now. And I love Candace, and I'm not really a political person. I love her fierceness. I love that she is fierce for what she believes. I do share a lot of her values for our community. And I think she says things that other people say. They're just not listening because they, they have her dis disagreements with her. Did you get any flack for that from people? And another thing was a sort of like, what did you take from it? Like, what was your take on that interview? Okay, so Candace Owens might have been one of my biggest interviews of that year because she's such a polarizing figure. She is the antithesis of what people feel black people should be. You know, she was one of Trump's confidants at the time. She's a very polarizing figure. Now, I don't know if you know who Kevin Samuels is. He's a, go, go Google him. He's a relationship expert. And he's a, also a very polarizing figure. So one of the major tricks of the music industry or the entertainment business is you have to be polarizing, arresting, and engaging. She she hits all three of them, okay? She's polarizing with her talk. What she's talking about at its crux is brilliant. However, her delivery is what makes people hate her. But by hating her, you hear the message more. You have to take out what it is, like you said. You have to take it out. So I scored this interview with her. Oh, there were people don't let her talk. The Republicans don't let the Democrats talk. I said, listen, man, I don't care. I want to talk to her. And 
I proceeded to do so. Um, the thing that I learned from Candace Owens is her delivery is crass, but what she's talking about is real. Right. Candace Owens made me question every single thing that I had been thinking, that I was told, that I was watching. That day changed everything. So she said it started with Black Lives Matter. She said to me, all right, Black Lives Matter. She said, but listen, just follow the money. But you don't have to like me. You don't have to like what I'm saying. Forget about me. Go follow where the money's going. The money was going to the Democratic Party. So now I'm looking on the, I'm looking on the website. I don't see anything but people selling clothes and donations. I don't see where you did this in the community, where you did this in the community. There's no social proof about what you did. All right. I go and run into my man from Black Lives Matter, New York, and I have a conversation with him. I'm like, yo, bro, I need somebody to come up here and rebut, uh, uh, rebut this, bro, because she just hit, hit y'all with the fire. Nobody wanted to come. I had a conversation with the guy who used to be the head of Black Lives Matter, New York, and he told me some stuff that blew my mind. So now now, every time I look at something, I always look at where the money, where's the money, who's funded it, because once you find out who's funded it or where, where the money's going, you can you can then deduce what's happening. You know the interest. You know the interest, bro. So she did that. She explained about how welfare was created by the Democrats and these choices of women deciding to take the, the welfare instead of taking the family has destroyed our community to this day. Right. So, you know, you may not like Candace Owens' delivery. A lot of things she was saying was truthful and it was the fire. Right, right. You don't have to like it, but you have to respect it. No, for sure. That interview and her talking to me took me on a journey to question every single thing I was told. Every, every and anybody, whether it's CNN, Fox, the government, when I am making a decision about something, I'll go to Fox, CNN, I'll listen to what, you know, whoever is in power is saying, I'll go read Vice, I'll go read Fox News, I'll go all those places, I'll interpret that information, and I'll say, well, who's BSing, who's not, who's this, and then i make my own best decision based on what I see. Right. Right. But I question everything. Nah, that's power. That's power. And it's sort of like growing up in the hood, you don't even really, you don't get no opportunity to even like start questioning or thinking about those things. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like it's sold to you already. You already are supposed to accept certain norms and certain things like that. You know, that's what I had to do for me, like even from a faith perspective also too. I'm just like, well, who signed me up for this one? You know what I'm saying? When we got off the boat, what was we doing then? You know what I'm saying? And, and a lot of things we don't even question and we never we never go back to it. So no, that 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 that's huge. I just I, I just wanted to tell you, man, that inter that interview was fire. I think it was one of my better interviews. Right. And I told Candace from the beginning, I said, listen, you can come on here and spit facts and figures all day. I will not beat you in this interview. Just like you will not go to the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas and play mashups, country, hip hop, EDM. All in 45 minutes. I, that's what I do. <laughs> right. That's what I do. Right, okay? right. You don't do that. If I put you in front of a, a pair of turntables, you're lost. I don't, I don't even need, I don't even need to know nothing. You have no experience with that. And if I do that and I put you in front of 30,000 people, you're completely lost. Right. I don't do facts. I said I said to him from the beginning. It is not my intention to win this interview. Right. I want to know about you and what brought you to this point. Right. Fire. So right now, the hip hop games, it's a young man's sport. 
right? Like we already talked about how much has changed. And so like just bringing this good and crazy energy to the mic is just already, it's a, it's a whole new, it's a whole new world, especially these kids. You know what I'm saying? Like they're growing up completely different than what I grew up. And I'm sure and also in your time, for sure, it's a different world. But then these guys are also going to have that time like you had and like I had where they grow older and you get wiser and styles begin to change along with your perspectives. Now that you have grown and you mentioned this a little bit more but just like hit a little bit more on how like you feel like you've changed even as a person like what is it like for you now when you approach music when you approach the mic DJing everything else like what is it like you know everybody says that this is a young man's game right I I tend to disagree okay this is a good man's game you know why? Because there are a lot of young kids making garbage. That's true. Like, just because you're young don't mean you make fire. Right. And then also, some of these records are not even fire. They're being shoved down your throat. Right. So, so here's the thing. If you hear something enough, it becomes fire. So <laughs> if we hear that enough, we're gonna we're gonna think that's fire. Right. See, here's the thing. If it was a Young man's game and not a good man's game. Jay-Z wouldn't still be here. Nas wouldn't still be here. Puff wouldn't still be here. Right. Bun B wouldn't still be making albums. I think it's more of a current. You've got current people who are huge and do big numbers because the masses are young. Right. Then you've got the intermediate and legacy, the intermediate artists like Tiger. He had some hits. He's doing his thing. He still could go around, move around, get 30,000, go about his business. Then you have legacy artists, Fat Man School, Bun B, uh, Nas. Uh, and Nas is in a different version of legacy artists. MC Ren, I don't know, like a, a bunch of different people right. who are legacy artists. Raw Bass, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Salt and Pepper. Uh, in vogue, uh, like people like that, right? Right, right, right. That are older. However, they have their own audience. Audience, and, and they block with them. Where I'm at right now is I know my audience, and I, my goal is to super serve them. However, I was in the hospital for COVID six days, and on my deathbed, because I thought I, there were points that I thought I was going to go. What's crazy? I just before you continue, me too. And I was in the hospital six days. Exactly. I was just saying, <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. But go ahead, continue. Crazy. And that's another story that we got to talk about in terms of our health. But we'll get to that shortly. For sure. At one point, I had a 80, 87 blood oxygen. Wow. So I had COVID pneumonia. I had a very serious case of COVID pneumonia. When your blood oxygen gets below 93, you're not walking, bro. To put on a pair of pants is a war. I tried, I had to walk 150 feet and it felt like I was walking the runway, the length of a runway of an airplane. And anyway, I got to the hospital and when I got to the hospital, I literally collapsed at the front door. I walked in good. I walked in slow, but when I got to the door, it was almost like the finish line and I collapsed. Found out I had like an 80... 80-something blood oxygen. At, at that point, you're not lifting your hand. You know, you're moving very slow. And at, I was in the, the first night, I really couldn't move. I was so, I couldn't even pick up the, the remote control. So I was sitting in the dark, man, because I couldn't even turn the light on. You know, when I came out of the hospital, I had a very similar experience. And I start thinking, and even now, just almost been a year since I had COVID, COVID as about my audience. 
you know and and as much as i'm a i'm a people person i enjoy meeting different type of people and talking to people and and hearing people's stories but there is something about having a commonality with people right and a lot of times what i what i'm starting to find is like a person's audience are people that enjoy you and and the reason why they become your audience is because they may value some of the things that you that you that you value they have a very similar interest it's almost like their those souls are attached to your soul so i start thinking about it also too if i'm sitting and and my audience was like was like a person is it appropriate for me to run after and chase after an audience that don't have nothing to do with me because I'm trying to like just spread, you know, my message or to get my it doesn't even make sense. Cause at the end of the day, you want to be able to connect with your audience. And what's gonna make a long-term fan is somebody that just like I get down with you for you. And like, like for instance, I got six kids. Family is a huge thing. That's a basketball team with one person coming off the bench, bro. <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, I I'm saying that to say that's hilarious. But I'm saying that to say I value family. I value those type of things. So like people that don't like have no interest in value and and marriage and all the other stuff. It's like I'm not saying you're not gonna listen to my music, but I'm not counting on you be a diehard fan because that's one of the main components that make up who I am and why I do what I do. And that's for always gonna be a part of my narrative. As opposed to where uh, getting high is not going to be a part of my narrative. I really had to hone in also to on that. It's like, hold on, where's my audience? My audience is in here and they love what I love. They're going to love what, you know what I'm saying? Not everything exact. We're going to have a commonality um, and things that we can really get down and have discussions about is going to be the reason why they love you and feel so close to you. Do you feel like your audience is 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 that? The people you can, you you would sit with and have a conversation with. My, I know my audience. Number one is the reason you connect is because people want to be like you. Right. People believe in you. Right. Or if you're a woman or a man, people want to have sex with you. That's basically what a superstar is. Right. I find that the people who like my music are like me. Right. I don't make music for the bad chicks. Like when, when you go to my shows, it's a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like young people, college type people. I, there's never any like what they would call American bad chicks at my show. That's not the kind of music I make. It's a lot of dancing. But those are my people. Those are the people who rock with me because of my soul. Right. So when I think about doing features, if I can't come on that song and be my authentic self, I don't need it. Exactly. If you're asking me to come on a song and be my authentic self, all right, we can do that, right? Also, the song might have to make sense. I just can't get on any kind of song. There are songs that I've had that I'm like, yo, bro, I can't, I can't think of nothing to this. <laughs> right. Now, I understand it. Okay, so my uh, my last but not least question is, what's next for Scoop? Me personally, and uh, just being a fan of your hilariousness, you're hilarious, and I I really honestly believe you belong on television. You know, I want to know what's next for you. Is television down the line? Where you where you going next with it? Well, you know, I was on television on MTV for for two years, two seasons, and I think I'll make television, but it's gonna be. It's not going to be right around the corner. My show is cursing, nonsense, foolishness. And it's harder to get that kind of show on the air than a show where somebody cooks a, a beef stew. So 
I have a lot of work to do. And also, when it's the right time, God will present the situation that will take me from zero to the hero. Right. But I have to wait for that point to happen. And the problem with is we as people, no matter what God you, you worship, uh, God, Yahweh, Jah, you know, like uh, whatever God you choose to. Hashem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we seem to want it on our time, but it always happens in God's time. So look at D Nice. Now there was a time that D Nice couldn't even get in the club. You know, he 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 would he, he, he you gotta hear him tell the story, man. He couldn't even get in the club, you know. You know, he got with this person, he got with this person, he wanted DJing for Obama, and then wow. and then everything happened in the pandemic at the right time. But that was God's time. That wasn't his time. This man has been in the business for 35 years. Right. D-Nice was a baby with, with, with KRS-One and those guys. But now he's in a Ford commercial. So it takes time. We don't know when that is. We just have to keep fighting and doing that every day. And it is the one thing that is the hardest thing to do is to keep going when the lights are not on. Can you do this? When these lights are not on, can you do this in the darkness when nobody's watching? It's almost like professional baseball. Unless you're really talented, you don't go into the show right away. Right. You have to go to the places in Paducah, Iowa. There's 30 people watching the game. Then when you get to double A, it may be 600 people watching the game. Then when you get to triple A, it may be 2,500 people watching the game. But listen, are you going to still give it your all when there's 30 people in the stands? Right. When there's nobody watching. And I'll keep giving it my all. And then one day, these lights will come on and it'll snap just like that. Right. That's the realest thing I ever said, bro. That's real. Listen, I really appreciate you coming on. It was an honor, honor, honor to have this discussion with you. I'll catch y'all later. Be safe. All right. Talk soon. All right, God bless. All right, God bless. Wow, wow, wow. That was an amazing conversation with Fat Man Scoop, who was a hip-hop legend. As he said, he's he's just a legendary person. And as you can see from the conversation, he's a real person. And, and you know, some of these things take time to uh, to develop in an artist. I mean, he had that time when he was younger and running around. But it's just sort of like amazing to see that growth and development of a person and to be able to see him be able to bring a real sense of awareness you know what I'm saying to, to not only to hip hop but just to the world and just to see how that affected I think maybe the most impactful thing where I really connected was like that COVID story you know we were in the hospital same amount of days um, both you know heavy guys you know I lost a little weight now but both heavy guys and have having to deal with the oxygen dropping and just really having the opportunity to reflect on life and reflect on your audience reflect you know on your craft is very very impactful like I said it just you know was a big honor for me for him to have been here on the show Um, and with that because I know for sure in his honor, you know, I always like to leave you with a song. So um, one of his favorites is uh, my song Rerun. So um, I'm going to leave y'all with Rerun. And so until next time, remember to only go from strength to strength and be strengthened.
much for listening to the deal with me Nisim Black it's a production of the Joshua Network our executive producer is Josh Cross our producer is Gilad Brownstein please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at the deal with NB and subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts Spotify and wherever you get your podcast content please share this with your friends so that they can get this raw and riveting stuff from me yours truly God's man I'm dusting them off, I'm dusting them off. I'm dusting them off, I'm dusting them off, I'm dusting them off. The Joshua Network is now Soul Shop.